This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hey, everybody. Today, I have a special guest from the other side of the world. I have Rania Bedreddin, and she is going to tell us a little bit about herself and her story about her rising above the ashes and how she's changed her life and made it better. So thank you so much for joining me, Rania. Thank you. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, awesome. I'm so happy that you, you were able to make this and make it on, the, on our, our different time zones. She's remote, I'm remote, so we're doing this. So tell tell yes. us a little bit, tell me a little bit about, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your story and, you know, where you are right now, because I kind of, uh, I guess there's a little bit of a climax there. They want to know. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm all the way in Cairo, Egypt. So, uh, yeah, that's quite a distance. I'm uh, Rania Badreddin. I'm a happiness consultant an international speaker, I'm an NLP and hypnosis master practitioner and coach, and I'm a social entrepreneur. And my passion is to help people across the globe live happier lives. So that's, that's what I do. <laughs> that's so cool. So tell how did you get into something like that? Okay, yeah, there is quite a story there. So um, I actually, I've been a social entrepreneur for 25 years. And by other people's standards, I was a really successful entrepreneur and my business was growing. But what people didn't know is that there were many times when I never, I didn't feel I was good enough and I would get depressed. I would get really anxious about what's, you know, what am I doing? I'd get frustrated. And, and during those times, I would sort of like hide away and not let anybody know that because I didn't want to like appear weak or anything. And the truth was that uh, I wasn't really fulfilled in that area of my life, my career. So I'm, I've always had, thankfully, a wonderful family life and uh, husband and kids. And things were really good in other aspects of my life. But when it came to my career, as successful as it looked to other people, I just was never fulfilled. And it was only a few years ago when actually I was training to, for, for my NLP and hypnosis certification that I that I made the change, that really drastic uh, inner change, actually, that finally helped me find that happiness and that fulfillment that I was uh, looking for for so long and really couldn't uh, find. Um, so that was really a major turning point in my life. And that was the turning point that led me to realize that this is what I want to do. I want to help other people uh, sort of get that inner transformation that will allow them to sort of change their outer world as well, because I really believe that that's what it's about. And so then I decided, well, I started learning a lot more about happiness as well to add to my, to my knowledge of NLP and hypnosis. I started learning about happiness and the science of happiness. And then I decided that's it. You know, it's like one day I decided that's what I want to do. I want to be a happiness consultant. So that's what I do now as well. In addition to my, to my business as well. Very cool. So what were you doing in the social entrepreneurship area? Okay, so yeah, I'm still doing that. Actually, it's uh, I'm just I just delegated a lot, but I'm, a, I'm the founder and CEO of Mother and Child. Mother and Child is a digital platform. It's bilingual Arabic and English. And it's the digital platform that, uh, that really helps parents on that journey of parenting, especially moms, but also dads, but everything from conception and uh, you know, pregnancy, just parenting through the years. Uh, and including topics like health and nutrition and married life. So it's really a, a huge platform with you know, a lot of valuable uh, information, content, written by experts. And so that's what I do. And, and also part of my work is I'm the head of a network called the Family Experts Network. And that network collaborates with UNICEF and the government, actually, on national parenting campaigns and policies and initiatives. So we're the technical consultants when it comes to that kind of work. So it's really fantastic and it's a very widespread impact. And actually I'm really fulfilled now with my, with that, with my career. And I think the fulfillment comes though from having also delegated a lot and freed myself to do things that I enjoy more. Um, that's where the change happened. That's great, great. 
Um, you know, you're just thinking and, and the way, and, and I don't know how much, it, how, what, what it's like in Cairo, but in America, for the most part, the trajectory to a career starts with like, you know, school, college, you major in something, you might go to graduate school and then you're in the career that usually follows what you've studied in college. And, uh, you know, that's, that's maybe the general, the high level, but of course there's also school, maybe there's trade school, and then there's something that uh, eventually a career there. You took a very entrepreneurial, your, your thing is very entrepreneurial driven. As you mentioned, you identify yourself as a social entrepreneur. I'm curious to learn from you because I think that there might be aspiring entrepreneurs here, someone who wants to go off the beaten path, which I think that you've done, like how, what the trajectory is like for, for somebody who like you, who's done something that isn't the typical path. Like you can never ask a six year old, what are you going to be when you grow up and have them say, Oh, I want to start a website for mommy and child. Like that's not, <laughs> that's, they're never going to have that expectation because it's, it's usually the standard stuff. Oh, I want to be a teacher. I want to, there's some people who say, I want to be a mommy. I want to be a fireman or a policeman, or I want to be a lawyer. Well, which usually comes from the parent. I want to be a doctor, which also comes from the parent. <laughs> I want to be a computer pro programmer, which also comes, well, it comes from the kids too. Cause I can tell you, my parents wanted me to be an attorney and I, I ended up working in computer science in the beginning. And, um, so I'm kind of curious to know from you, how you got to working in, in social entrepreneurship and building a website and a presence to empower parents and focus on, you know, the uh, parenting side and how, what, what yeah. that path took look like. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And uh, of course, as with everything, there's a story behind that as well. And the story is that I ended up doing everything I said I wasn't going to do, basically. So when I was 18, I was really like I was a smart aleck and I was really uh, um, very vocal about how I, after, you know, I was just graduating from school and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to university. And when it comes to like guys and marriage and all that stuff, I am not interested at all. I'm going to, when I graduate and I establish a career, whatever that is, then I will think of the idea of, of you know, getting married. And then I met my husband. So I was 18. And so I kind of changed my mind. I'm really glad I did. I mean, this is 30 years later, and I'm really glad I made that choice. But at the time, it was like, okay, um, okay, guys, I know I said I wasn't going to like get uh, married or anything, but I met this great guy. And so I got married. Basically, I still had, I was in university. I mean, I didn't get married my first year or anything, but I got married, and I still had a year left of university. And so I said, I was just telling my friends, yeah, okay, I mean, I wanted to get married, but there's no way I'm going to have kids. I'm going to, we're going to wait at least, you know, three to five years before I even think about that. And then five months later, I was pregnant. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, so I was still in university. So in my university graduation, I was actually walking up on stage five months pregnant. And that's really where the story is, because when I found out I was pregnant, I was not at all prepared. It was not something that I wanted at that time. It was not something I planned for. And so I was really scared. So with that news of the pregnancy came a lot of um, fear, just fear, just I, I didn't know what to expect when I was young, I was 21. Now, what happened, and that, that's, that's really the blessing here, is that I found somebody uh, who gives you know, classes, antenatal classes, and, and that made all the difference. I started attending the classes and I started learning and I, and I really transformed. So by the end of my pregnancy, I was a totally different person. I was no longer that scared person who didn't know what to expect and didn't realize what her own power is and that, that I have choices. And no, I, I was somebody who was feeling in control, at least of the things that I can control. Uh, I was excited and I was really looking forward to having a baby. So it was a complete transformation. And I didn't realize it then, but that would be the, the, the spark towards uh, my, the rest of my career because what happened was that such such a huge change happened within me and it just made me realize I want to be able to help other women as well. I want them to, if they are feeling you know, negative feelings or just changes or just uncertainty, I want to be able to help them because 
having information, having knowledge had really helped me. And so, so somehow I realized that this is something exciting. I became very passionate about it. And I found myself talking about it just like at, at uh, dinners or just out with friends. Somebody would say something that's like a misconception, like, oh, I just want to have a cesarean. And then I would just chat with them and see if they have information about, you know, cesarean and natural birth or where did they make that decision from? Is it an informed decision or not? So I found myself more and more interested in that uh, subject of sharing that knowledge. And uh, and then that's it. The, the idea came in my head just one day. I was like, wait a minute, what if, what if I start a magazine? At the time it was a print magazine, of course, it's a website now, but it was just a print magazine in 1995, actually. And I was like, why don't I start a magazine that will actually equip moms with valuable, accurate information that will really help them along this really beautiful and challenging journey of you know, motherhood and parenthood. And once the idea came into my mind, that, that's it. There was like nothing, there was no stopping me. I was, it was it, I just realized that's it, that's what I want to do. And so I was uh, you know, just running after that, just doing it. Now I was a business major. And that really helped. So I didn't have the first clue about how to do a magazine, but I did at least have sort of the business uh, knowledge. And then that's it. That was the starting point for that. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to really hear about how people start their journeys and they come from these places where you really can identify with the challenge that you faced to help other people grow from uh, an opportunity of necessity. So, like, for example, you felt, and every a lot of women are pregnant in the world, obviously there's an opportunity to help them from the experiences that you had, and you didn't expect that. And I would say my journey is similar in the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to elaborate too much on myself here, but I, I, I'm, I'm a tech nerd and I built, uh, <laughs> I, I had depression and the thing that took me out of depression after seeing, I was seeing a, a psychiatrist for t- twice a week, was on four different medications. Four, four to six medications, depending on the time, um, the extreme of the of where I, the depression I was going through, and the thing that took me out of depression wasn't anything that I guess is medically proven to help. Like seeing a psychiatrist who was operating in the capacity of a psychotherapist and a psychologist, and the medication, which is stuff that uh, there's F- it's FDA approved. That's why it happens in 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 the U.S. It's FDA approved in the sense that the Food and Drug Administration says that this is the stuff that you need to take or you should be taking for depression. And the thing that helped me was something that was far more accessible. Uh, you don't need a prescription for it. It was fragrance, and it helped me so substantially that while I can't make medical claims for the ability to help other people, I said I was able to rise above the ashes from this unlikely product. And I believe that I need to create a brand with the ability to help other people become happy through their their experiences with fragrance. So I will be launching my own brand soon with that story. So, oh wow, that's so that's lovely. Yeah, it's wow. It's, it's very. Well, interesting. I mean, uh, I wonder if I could ever get a hold of those fragrances here in Egypt. Oh well, I hope in due time. I'll, in fact, I'll talk to you if if you have any connections in Egypt. I'll be more than happy to get it on the shelves there. That's the plan. I want I want to go far and wide. Um, you know, that's, I want to. That's fun. Yeah, we'll see. Hmm. Cool. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. But yeah, so that's 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 amazing that you were able to do that. And and I mean, you know, you saw an opportunity in creating a magazine, going to print, and having your business experience allow for you to kind of I guess you did a lot of it yourself you taught you learned some some stuff in school but it was a lot of self-teaching you had to kind of figure it all out on your own so definitely I I had a lot I had a lot a lot to learn I didn't like I said I didn't know what to do but I I got some good people on board pretty fast and I learned really fast and what drove me was that sense of purpose of why am I doing this and I if that's what I would recommend to other entrepreneurs is that you really need to uh, to have a reason, to have a why, to have a purpose of why this is important to you, and that's what's going to be driving you, for, you know, forward. And I think the, the biggest lesson that now, looking backwards, I could have told my, uh, you know, 21 year old self, is you really don't have to do everything alone, and you really don't have to be running all the time. And that's what's changed for me now is that I was just running, running, running. I was overworking myself. I was 
pushing myself uh, really hard. And that's not the, the necessarily the smartest way to do things. I was trying to do everything alone. Um, yeah, I had a team, but I was sort of still trying to do everything alone. And that's what that's what's changed now. In fact, let me give you a little analogy, because that's how it was in my mind when I was when I was talking about how passionate I am. I used to describe myself as running in front of a train. I used to tell people that when I got the idea of doing this magazine, it was like there was a train pushing me, and I'm running in front of it. And 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 I just and I run and I run and sometimes I get out of breath, you know. Uh, and I remember once actually telling people that sometimes, you know, I would just wish that the train would just run over me and get it over with because, you know, I'm exhausted. And, and I was saying that as though it's a joke. But later on, I realized, oh my goodness, that's a really unhealthy way of looking at things. Why am I running in front of a train? And I realized all I need to do is get up, get out from in front of the train and actually go and sit inside the train, pick my favorite seat in the train, bring people on board with me, and then start enjoying the journey. You know, let's let's decide where we want to go and let's go there together. Let's make it a leisurely kind of journey, a beautiful journey with really nice views along the way. Why in the world am I running? And that's what I did for 20-something years. I was just running, out of breath, often frustrated, and also, you know, making huge achievements as well. But, but they were at the expense of my sort of overall well-being and and that's the biggest change that I you know finally had a few years ago is that I'm now actually even more productive with my social enterprise I now have this you know side thing that I do with being a happiness consultant um, I have far more abundance in terms of time and money and certainly better overall well-being and all of that was just actually because of work, doing the inner work. So that's, of course, when I talk hypnosis, talk about working on my limiting beliefs, uh, working on unresolved emotions. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about that actually turned out to be my biggest problem. My biggest problem was not, you know, some maybe devastating story of something that actually happened to me or an illness or something, but it was actually me happening to me. It was me limiting myself with some beliefs that I had of what I had to do or what I should do. When when I realized, now I realize it's, it's just so much simpler than that. What do I want to do? And now I just approach life in a way that's totally different. I just wake up and do the things that bring me joy, that I love doing, and that also other people will benefit from. But I prioritize myself now, and I wasn't doing that before. And that's also a big message I'd like to share with anybody, entrepreneurs or anybody, is that Let's really value ourselves. Let's really learn to feel that we are good enough exactly as we are right now and learn to love ourselves. If we let that be the starting point, then that love really does spread to other people all around us and worldwide, to all of humanity, actually. And then if we approach life with, with that same spirit of love, then we just wake up and we do what we love. Uh, and then finally, one of the things I also like to share is that to not be attached to the outcomes so that we are able to adapt to whatever comes our way, you know, not be so attached to or expecting a particular outcome, otherwise I'm going to be upset. You know, of course, we sometimes can get disappointed, but when we look at every outcome as a learning, you know, experience, then we just move forward with that in a positive way. Uh, life really becomes a lot easier, a lot more a beautiful place to be as well. Oh, wow. I like, I like that train analogy a lot. I think that it's it's a... I think in any anybody who really considers themselves a hustler, and I've used the phrase professional hustler since before everybody used to consider hustle as as uh, when, when the word hustler had a negative connotations. Let's put it yes. that way. And even though I loved what I was doing, there was definitely this case of burnout. Eventually, I didn't realize it at the time, but eventually it just catches up with you. Even if you absolutely love what you're doing, you can do it anytime. You have the flexibility to do it at home or whatever. There is eventually a time where it will catch up with you no matter who you are, especially me who used to say, I love to work. I mean, that's, that was, that was, working was part of my identity. So um, to be able to, to sit back, relax and enjoy the ride and be, especially not being afraid of delegating I think a lot of us, especially in your context, we were kind of doing it all. But eventually, when you give it, give other people the chance to kind of assert control, even though giving up control can be so tremendously difficult, it is deeply, deeply empowering for you and freeing 
so that you don't feel like you just can't handle it anymore and you're just going, you know, you're going at 80 miles an hour and you shouldn't have to. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's definitely a big, one of my biggest learnings in the last few years. Plus, if you think about it, the reason I wasn't delegating is what? Because I mean, because I thought that I was better than everybody else and that, you know, I'm going to do a better job. Who says that's the case? And who says that they may not even actually come up with better ideas if I give them a chance? And, and that's what happened when I started to, you know, delegate more and give people a chance. Now, it, it takes a little bit of courage in the beginning because, you know, you've got your ego sort of standing in the way. But but the bottom line is you need to let go of the idea that, that everything has to be done 100%. So and that's probably why, you know, I was getting my nose into everything because I wanted to do it my way because I was sure of what that was going to be like. But what if I allowed for 85% but it gets done? And then what if actually I started learning from them things that I wouldn't have even done that way that are even better? And that's what started to, to change. And like you said, it's liberating. It frees you up. Um, of course, if there are things that you enjoy doing, yeah, great, keep doing those. But if there are things that you don't really enjoy doing that, um, that perhaps somebody else could do even better, this is, where, this is where the delegating can really come in. The things that are either time consuming or just not enjoyable. And what's the point of us not doing things that we enjoy? I mean, I think sometimes there's a fear in, of, you know, yeah, come on, seriously, I'm just gonna wake up and do things I enjoy, that's not realistic, life isn't like that. But who says? I mean, who says it can't be like that? We're, we're, we're fed a lot of things, we're told a lot of things throughout our lives, but not all of them are true. So the idea that, you know, I mean, I was raised kind of because I had an American also education. So it was always in my mind was the idea of no pain, no gain. You know, you have to be always, you know, fighting and running. And so I kind of bought into that. And so even though I wasn't satisfied with my career because I was exhausted, I kind of felt like that's how it's supposed to be. And I kind of felt like, you know, maybe if my career was going really well, that something else in my life would go wrong. So I kind of believe like I can't have it all. So let me just settle for this. But that's not true. Who says that's true? Why? Who says that I cannot be satisfied in all areas of my life? And I cannot dare to dream of that. And so that's that's what changed. That's what I dared to do is actually visualize my happy career as well. And I'm visualizing my life in general. I mean, I always advise you know my clients to do that. You know, close your eyes and really imagine yourself. Uh, whatever, a year, two or five years from now, but really imagine your life being, you know, as close to perfect as it can be. There's no perfection, but, but what is it like when, when your life is just wonderful? What is it like at work? What is it like at home? Who are you with? Where are you going? What are you doing? And really visualize it because the beauty of the unconscious mind is that it can't really differentiate between what's real and what's imaginary. So if you, if the mind can see it, uh, it can believe it and you can achieve it if you see what I mean so and and that's wonderful and that's how that's how I was able to achieve actually big leaps in the last few years I mean when I imagined myself wanting to be a happiness consultant and I closed my eyes and I imagined that the first thing I imagined was I'm I'm somewhere overseas I'm in a beautiful place with people from all over the world around me and I'm giving a talk about happiness that's what I imagined and a few months later I was at the University for Peace in Costa Rica and I was giving a talk about happiness as part of their conference called Gross Global Happiness. And I did that not only, of course, because I imagined it, I obviously took actions as well. And, but, but when you imagine things and then you start taking actions towards them, you really can achieve so much more than you ever, ever dreamed of, really. Um, yeah, and I've finally been able to experience that myself. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's sort of the, the learning that I wanted to share. So I would say just in terms of like delegating, it's really interesting because yeah, giving up control there, there is that there definitely is the struggle. Like you said, you know, maybe you'll get 85%, but you don't necessarily have to, you know, I was always afraid to give up control until very, very recently. I realized I can't do it all on my own. I will not be successful if I am going to be a one woman shop. And I, it took me a while to find the right people, but finding the right people means that you're not the smartest person in the room anymore. And that was really uh, like eye-opening for me, to me. Now it's almost like, you know, I, I know that there's something that I'm very, very good at. I'm very good at writing, I'm very good at content, but yet I found somebody who's better than me. And it's like, it's funny because when the tables turn and all of a sudden you feel that 
I I might not even be that, like, I almost don't even want to write the content anymore. I want her to be my content person forever. It's really interesting to see that. And of course, yeah, you'll, for the most part, you'll probably, you won't find these amazing people who are like the smartest people in the room. But yeah, having, being able to, um, to do that, to, to find somebody like that, it's, it's so liberating. It is so freeing. It's amazing to have that. Um, yeah, it really is. And, and the more that you're kind of, valuing yourself exactly as you are now, which I wasn't and now I am, the more that it actually doesn't matter anymore to be the smartest person. I used to want to feel, you know, like I was smart. I used, I used to need validation from people around me. It doesn't really matter anymore now. I'm just who I am, whatever that is. I'm, it's not a label and, and I don't really care if somebody is 10 times better at something than I am, that, that's perfectly fine with me now. So it, I'm not intimidated by those things anymore because I, I finally, valuing myself exactly as I am and and that's something people I think my problem with with, with accepting myself or feeling good enough is that it, it, in my mind at the time it meant that that you know as though I'm good enough which means that, that there's no room for improvement I'm not I'm not gonna change and but that's not true what the what's true is that we want to look at ourselves as good enough and still a work in progress so that at any given moment, we feel like we're special, we're a miracle, we're good enough. And of course, we're always learning and growing. So accepting ourselves doesn't mean that we don't want to improve ourselves, that we don't want to become a better version of ourselves. It doesn't mean that. It just means that we accept that anything we've been or done up until this moment, that has sort of been the best that we could do. And then we just learn from that, you know, what we want to do next. And when we, when we become sort of, like you said, the more humble and delegating more and realizing that it actually doesn't matter who's good at what, what matters is what value are we all creating sort of together, uh, it becomes really nice because you become much more collaborative. Like the idea of competition like is so far removed from my mind now. I mean, I used to be competitive and then I used to sort of be cooperative and now I'm just fully collaborative. I mean who does the work who doesn't do the work it doesn't matter what's the final product that we're putting out there is it of value to others and we all feel part of something good then great you know uh, so so i totally agree with what you're saying uh, and i think that's a good lesson you know sort of possibly to help anybody else out there who's thinking of uh, starting up something is yeah do it with somebody else uh, whether it's whether you're hiring somebody or you're partnering with somebody or whatever you know, it's, um, I think it works better when you have people to bounce ideas off of as well. Entrepreneurship can really be a lonely road. And I was just alone on that road for so long. I think, yeah, I would definitely advise people to not, not be so alone or at least have a mentor or, or a coach or just, you know, somebody to, 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 you know, give and take with. Yeah. So, you know, there's a mindset, the abundance mindset and the scarcity mindset. Yes, and yes. I also was super competitive for a very long time and I would get jealous of people who were my peers who were selected for things over me where I felt like I was entitled to it. And that was really a different, I can't even, now that I look back at that, it's, it's so foreign to me. When you, I guess you grow the confidence to feel that Every, there's enough to go around for everyone. It doesn't have to be that specific thing. There are other opportunities for you. Things change significantly. Like, especially in my fragrance brand, I know that people who like my fragrances are going to like other fragrances. It's, I'm not going to be the, I mean, I might be the one that everybody loves. It, that's, that would be a, that's, I don't even know if that's a goal of mine. It's funny. I can't even say that's my goal. Uh, it would be cool, yeah. but I want people to like other ones. It's not, for me, it's not about choosing mine over anything else. And when I, I've been building out my blog, even though I'm, I haven't officially launched until like, well, I haven't really even officially launched yet, but I, I have a couple of interviews. What does fragrance mean to you? And a few of my questions are, what are your favorite fragrances? I, I know that they're not gonna recommend mine because I haven't even launched yet, but even when they do, even if I have launched and they do, uh, recommend other for like I don't want to I don't necessarily want to be the one that's recommended because it's not about that it's about sharing the love with other people it's about empowering other people to 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 see to see opportunities everywhere I've recently taken up running and 
my goal when I run is simply to finish. It's not to win. And it's funny because my husband, I, I run, I ran three five Ks last year, which is like nothing, but compared to like a lot of the other runners out there. And my husband decided to join me for the third one. He ran faster than me and I've been training for like a year already. So it's, it's a little, <laughs> I, I wouldn't even say it's unfortunate. I mean, it's fine. It's, I'm not intending, again, I'm not intending to, to finish first. I'm not intending to finish second. I'm not intending to finish his speed, but you know, he's always like, I want to win. And I'm like, why you haven't trained? You're not doing anything. It's running five Ks is not about running to win. It's about running to finish. It's about making sure you have the sense of accomplishment. It's all about, you know, surrounding yourself with like-minded people who are equally awesome because we're all doing this together. And as long as all of us win, there's, you don't have to be first, second, or third, but everybody should get a medal. That's the only, that's the only philosophy I have. Everybody should get a medal. Unfortunately, in 5Ks, nobody gets medals. So that's the only downside. <laughs> but, um, but that's the, that for me, that's the way I see it. It's about giving, spreading the wealth and making sure everybody can be happy in whatever way they can. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I totally agree. I, I also didn't really have that abundance mindset before. I certainly do now. And I, I agree 100%. I mean, once I started realizing, hey, there's enough for everybody. So we're not competing over it. Um, I stopped actually exactly like you. I stopped being jealous of anything because, you know, if somebody else is doing something similar, great, let's have more people doing similar work. There's there are there are students for every teacher. There's you know there's enough there's enough for everybody, so we're not fighting over it. Uh, and then, yeah, things really do change when you adopt uh, this mindset. And actually, when I started adopting this abundance mindset, it is the first time I started making money. So for twenty something years, I literally never made money. So I was overworking myself and I was doing a lot of good impact, but I never made money. And I realized that it, after 20-something years that it must be me. I mean, I must be blocking this flow of money. And that's one of the things that I, it was actually, it was a limiting belief. I, I was actually afraid to make money. I was actually, I felt like I shouldn't make money, you know, in a world where people are starving. And, and then I shouldn't make money out of helping people. So I had, I had a belief, a certain limiting belief. And when I, when I fixed that sort of, I worked on that, everything changed. I realized that actually there's nothing wrong with, making money out of helping people because by by thinking that you shouldn't make money out of helping people that's kind of saying that you know people who make money shouldn't help people what about it what if the entire world was making money out of helping people then we'd have an entire world of people helping people right so how can that be a bad thing so i totally changed my my mindset i i finally started to adopt this belief of thinking of things in terms of abundance and not always thinking that, oh, I don't have enough money for this or I can't afford that. I can't do this. I stopped all that. I changed the thoughts in my head and then everything started to change actually. And I finally started to attract more abundance into my life all of money, but also of time. I also freed up a lot of time. I used to always say there's not enough time. I need 25 hours in the day to get what I want done. Now I've got plenty of time. And I get a lot more done in that time. So it's really about what you're telling yourself. It's really about what you're feeding your mind, you know, these daily affirmations. Are they things like I can't and I don't have and I shouldn't? Or are they sort of like, yeah, I can do this and I, I have all the time I need for everything that's important to me. I have all the money I need for everything that's important to me. You know, these are the kinds of affirmations that really get you forward. And I do want to comment about the running because it's so funny. Um, I'm, I'm a runner, so I was a runner most of my life. Uh, I was cross-country runner uh, throughout school and throughout university. And then I stopped running. Um, I guess I was running at work, but I wasn't running in real life. Uh, and then only a couple of years ago, in a dream actually, I saw myself running in that dream. I hadn't exercised for like 10 years. So I was like really unfit. But in that dream, I saw myself successfully running five kilometers. <laughs> and so then I started training. And for three months, I trained, trained, trained. I, I, you know, I was using like a, you know, an app on my mobile. And at the end of that period of time, I actually ran that 5K. And it was exactly like I had done it in that dream. I felt so strong, so powerful, so accomplished. And it turns out that I just needed to run that 5K just to feel those feelings like they were possible for me again because I had sort of convinced myself that, you know, oh, I'm too old now and I'm not fit anymore and, you know, it's that's it, you know, there's no more uh, running in me. But when I ran that 5K and I got those feelings back, 
I actually didn't really need to run much more after that day <laughs> because somehow I guess that's what I needed. You know, I ran until I got what I needed out of it, just the, the idea that I could do it. But it was fascinating. And it's so funny how you're mentioning running in the 5K because, you know, that was a story that I had as well the last few years. Maybe you got to get back to it. I know it might be your closure, but I think you should continue. Yeah, I, I might. I might. I, I, to be honest, really, I, I worry a little bit about the impact on, you know, on your, my knees and my spinal cord, like the actual up and downness of it. If you see what I mean, like, like I know walking is healthier. Uh, the just sort of pounding on your knees has has kind of given me a little bit of bad knees. But yeah, there is something special about that feeling. I think of uh, just just feeling fit. I, I really. And if, if I'm going to talk about my 2020 goals, I mean, it's, fitness is really probably one of them now because now that I've sort of um, improved so much in my life, I, I think this is the one area that, you know, I have the biggest growth opportunity. And so, yeah, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll start doing that again. Yeah. When I started running, I, I had been running, I had sprinted as a kid. That was my thing. And then sprinting wasn't a thing that adults did. And plus, I realized that I was not able to sprint faster than a larger ge geography. Like I was a, a, the fastest runner in my school. I was the fastest runner in my camp. But when oh, it came wow. to yeah, when it came to one of these like the track meets, I was one of the slowest runners. So clearly, it, I was just lucky. <laughs> I was very lucky. So then I said to myself, "Well, there's no way. I, it's not about it, for me that it was about winning then, but." When, when you when you evolve and you start to grow up into adulthood the the plan is to I, I guess everything shifts to like that you know cross-country running and really doing more long distance runs and that to me sounded my, my college roommate uh, was was always like she was always running these long distance runs and to me it just felt like I can never do that because I'm always I, I don't know how to pace myself mm. and yeah. But then it's, then, it's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> because your mind is always working as well. Yeah. And it, my yeah. mind is always expecting something different. But then I saw more and more people that I admired starting to run. And in, in, in 2013, I remember walking up to a colleague of mine who was about to run the New York City Marathon. And I said to her, you know, one day I want to run. Can you give me, can inspire me? Because she was one of these people that I just really looked up to. And she's like, just do it. And that was it wasn't until 2018 the end of 2018 that i actually had the guts to do it i think also part of it was in that 2013 desire i was i was still depressed i was going through postpartum depression i didn't even realize it and when i when this fragrance thing saved my life that was when i started realizing i can do these things there's no reason to have these mental barriers that were holding me back so that was when i started yes. doing it yes. so you know when the only the only parallel I'm going to say here is that you had this dream and this was your your reason to run. Uh, I mentioned this here and you have a story to share. Maybe maybe my my mentioning this here is is another reason to run. So think about bringing it back. Yes, actually, I actually will. And, you know, uh, you might consider that uh, annually once uh, once a year, we actually have a marathon at the pyramids. So maybe oh. one day you can come and run that uh, marathon. Yeah, I thought about that. I actually saw some photos. Somebody, it, it was just, I think it happened like a week or two ago. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So That's true. I would love to do it. Maybe. I'm not quite there for um, for any type of, a, anything long distance, longer than 5K yet, but I am thinking about a 10K and a half. I entered the New York City Marathon, didn't get in. So I think that was a message that I maybe I should slow it down, <laughs> but maybe in due time. Maybe in due time. You know, time. you know, when we're since we're talking about running, I was just thinking if I was to run again now, I think I would really do it differently because now I would really do it with the mindset of I want to enjoy the actual run. Yeah. I just want to enjoy breathing in and breathing out and feeling whatever my body's feeling and just working through it and and I I, I can see myself actually doing that and maybe that would be fulfilling for me yeah so I'll keep that <laughs> yeah you know what i say is don't when i first started training i really just wanted to train but i also ran faster than i could handle and when since i slowed it down i became i, I started enjoying it a lot more i hate the first mile but once i get in my groove and beyond that first mile also for me the first mile is always uphill so i always hate the first mile but once i'm done with that it becomes a lot more enjoyable and i i really start i don't know if i 
if you experience the true runner's high, but I do experience it in a true enjoyment of actually running. So yeah, you get into a sort of rhythm. It's yeah. really yeah. You're you're reminding me of it. Yeah, so you got to <laughs> do it. And there's something you said that I want to um, talk about for a minute. Uh, just do it. Now that that slogan uh, really is something that this is something I teach my my one-on-one clients as well when we're talking about things that are important to us, but that we feel like we're afraid to do, just do it is really the slogan that, you know, of course, we know this is a slogan for, you know, it's a Nike logo, but it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful uh, way to just live. I mean, you want to do something, but you're afraid. And people let fear stop them from doing things. But I always say just do it because if it's important to you, it's meaningful to you. It's okay. In fact, it makes sense for you to be afraid. Sometimes people call it anxiety or they're like, oh my God, no, I'm too afraid. I can't do it. But it's, of course you are. If something's important to us and it's exciting, then of course we're going to feel some amount of fear. Otherwise, we, I mean, if we are totally indifferent to it, then obviously it's not such a big deal, right? And so I just remembered that uh, when you said just do it, that, that that applies to running and applies to anything else. You know, of course, if there's some amount of planning and homework, you know, background homework to be done, of course, yeah, sure, go ahead and do it. But, but you know, otherwise, sometimes we just need to jump into things and just do them and then even mess up and then learn from that and then mess up again and learn from that. But we're really moving forward in the direction of, of what we want. That's just something I wanted to mention because I really think it's a really good slogan for life as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I've definitely embraced a lot and overcome fears and... I, I, I totally agree that just do it really embodies the way everybody should overcome anything that's kind of getting in their way. Push yourself because you'll realize that it's not as difficult as it seems. And your fear of starting is really the is a lot worse than actually doing it. Yeah, exactly. And then also everything is I mean, it's going to be the hardest the first time you do it. So the first time you do anything is the hardest and scariest it will ever be. And then it just gets easier and easier from there. And then that's exactly how you get good at things. And, you know, that, you know, I know we've heard this a thousand times, but, you know, going out of your comfort zone. But it's actually true because you do something that's scary and uncomfortable, but then you do it once and twice and you get used to it, it becomes easy. So then your comfort zone has just gotten bigger. So then you do the next thing that's kind of scary and uncomfortable. And then your comfort zone gets bigger and bigger and wider and wider. And, and that's really where the growth is, and, and it's uh, it's just wonderful. You, you feel very accomplished when you when you're sort of expanding your yourself and your world in that way. Yeah, yeah. So, in your context of happiness coaching, do you have any maybe a couple of pointers that you might want to suggest to listeners in terms of how to maybe embrace their inner happiness? Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean. I like to, um, I mean, people can actually do sort of a, a love exercise oh, <laughs> because cool. I think self-love is really the, an important beginning uh, for, for that journey, uh, knowing, accepting, and loving yourself. We, we often, many of us, because, because of how our brains are, are wired, because the first six years of life, you, you sort of are like a sponge. Your brain just absorbs everything around you. So if you have one teacher or just a parent who was like in a particularly bad mood that day, if somebody tells you that you weren't good enough at something or that you were lazy or slow or whatever, your mind at that age actually believes that. And then you form that belief, you form certain behaviors and a certain pattern of thinking, and you sort of continue with that for the rest of your life. And so a lot of people, many of us, the little child inside us still thinks that it's not good enough. It's not really fully accepting uh, of itself. And we're not really in tune and really knowing ourselves. So I think that would be the most important starting point is to really quiet, get quiet enough with ourselves. And that's where things like, you know, meditation, mindfulness meditation come in, like just being quiet and being able to, to sit still and close your eyes and breathe and actually accept all the noise that's going on in there if there is accept them all, accept all those thoughts, all those emotions, all those feelings. And the more you start to accept them all, the more you're able to start letting go of things. And the more eventually your, your, your mind becomes a quieter, more beautiful place to live. And that's really where we're living in the end. We're, we're all really in our head. I mean, 
everything out there is really also just in our head. We're just interpreting it through our senses. So when we work on our inner self and we, re we really learn to, to accept that first, that is the, the starting point towards change and towards self-love and then, like I said, expanding that uh, to everybody around us. So things like forgiveness, things like, you know, um, there are many happiness practices like writing yourself a self-compassionate letter, uh, practices like gratitude, uh, just to keep you sort of aware, you know, of what is good instead of just what isn't good. Uh, those are some things that I would think are important. Uh, and then when we start to really get to know ourselves well, then really I think the next thing is to to start, you know, unapologetically expressing ourselves and unapologetically being ourselves um, and not being afraid to just put ourselves out there the way we are and let people adapt to that instead of vice versa. Um, because we tend to maybe adapt to people around us and, well, they can adapt to us, you know. And so that's, so using your voice and communicating openly and honestly, maybe things like setting boundaries. Uh, these are all important things that I would uh, that I work with people on as well, checking in with their emotions. Um, now, emotions are important, and so-called negative emotions are also part of uh, part of our emotional uh, needs. I mean, we we actually there's a term called emodiversity, and as it turns out, the happiest people are not the ones who feel good all the time. They're the ones who have emodiversity, which is they they ha they are able to process and experience a very wide array of emotions, and not only the positive ones. So they're able to, to process, though, the negative emotions in a healthy manner and also to cultivate the positive emotions. So this is something else that I would think is really important. And then maybe finally just aligning your actions as well with who you truly are, what you want to do with your life, visualizing that life first and then taking steps towards it. So I think those would be the most important things I would share. Awesome. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I realized that we, we've been talking a lot, which is some amazing stuff, amazing stories, amazing information, amazing insights into, into I guess, how to become better versions of ourselves. Um, if there was one thing, just to kind of to wrap up, if there was one thing that you can, one piece of advice that you can tell your earlier self, what would you tell her? Ah, good one. Well, no, I think it'll go back again to, uh, love yourself because that's my biggest thing that I wasn't doing. I just had believed too much of what I had experienced or was told around me that really made me feel like I'm not just good enough as a person and that I have to prove myself, you know, to other people or even to myself. I mean, I, we have nothing to prove. We're good enough. Just exactly. We're just awesome. Exactly the way we are. We were born, you know, we were born a miracle and we still are. And that's not something that I really knew. And it's it's not like a particular person's fault or anything like that. It's just I don't know where I picked it up from, but I ended up believing it until I was 47. And so, uh, yeah, it was really lovely to actually, you know, go on that self-love journey. And, and from there, everything changed. So I think that's what I would I would tell myself, you are good enough exactly the way you are. Yeah. I think our younger selves never believe it, though. You know, our younger, our younger selves are loved by our parents. We don't realize that we should love ourselves. Our adolescent selves are kind of at odds with everybody around us. Our 20-something selves are trying to find ourselves. Our 30-something <laughs> selves are still kind of in that trajectory of trying to figure out what's happening with ourselves. And it really, it takes... I don't know, for some people, it might take a crisis, but it, it really doesn't happen until like your 30s and your 40s that you realize that you're not on this earth to just, you know, go through the motions and die and that's it. You're in this, you're on this earth to contribute and to grow and to help others. So yeah. everybody and to enjoy it, and to enjoy yeah. the journey. To enjoy but the, the thing journey. is, for me, my parents, I mean, no, they were loving parents and I didn't, so I didn't get this from them. Now, they were loving and supportive and but I got, I guess, just, you know, things like bullying at school. Um, the other, I mean, I just got it from somewhere. I mean, it's, it's no wonder because, like I said, it's called, you know, the first six years are, are the imprint stage. So the, the brain waves aren't developed. You know, they're only the, they're the theta brain waves. They're called the theta brain waves that actually are sponge-like. So it doesn't take a lot for, for us to, to believe that we're not good enough because we get these messages, I mean, from around us. Even the school system... Just the fact that there's the grading system kind of tells you, you know, indirectly that 
somebody else is better than you, maybe, because they got an A and you got a, a B or a C. So I think that's where we get that from. And and that's uh, that's something that I make sure. I mean, I have three kids and actually I'm a grandmother now. I just became a grandmother. Wow. So I make sure to spread a lot of love and I make sure to that my kids know from an early age, they don't need to wait until they're 47, that they are good enough exactly as they are. And even if exactly as they are is not something that I imagined for them, that's perfectly fine as well, you know? And I make sure to instill that in them. Just decide what you want, value yourself, and that I'm there to support whatever that is. Right, yeah. I think what you're saying, a lot of it ties into the culture that we don't necessarily, we've been taught to abide by, but I think sometimes you just gotta break through those invisible walls I think that it's important to kind of find our own way, even though it might be outside the norm of what we would have otherwise expected. So Exactly, yes, that's, that's right. Yeah, but the, the, like you said, the, it's interesting that the term you use, they're invisible walls. None of this is real. This is stuff that we just tell ourselves in our head. It's all perception. You know? It's all perception. Yeah. It's all about exactly. what, what apparently that, this is what seems right. Like you said, you know, when you're in an American, you're an American institution, this is, this is an American cultural thing. Um, a, a lot of it is. It's not always, it's, it goes far beyond just America, but it's how we've kind of raised our families based on the way we've been raised. And does it need to be that way? It doesn't need to be that way. So we need to really yeah. teach. We need to break the norms and figure out ways to empower our future generations to be uh, not, not, to, not to compare and to do things that make them happy. Because at the, at the end of the day, it's it's life and and we're not here just to to have a career and and to do things but to have a career and do things do things that we love but also nurture the next generation to do things that they love while also making sure that we can survive and put food on the table <laughs> yeah 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 that, that's good too <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't know that's might be the best way to put it but anyhow yeah so Thank you so much, Rania. I really appreciate you taking the time to share everything and to get vulnerable with me a little bit. But you know, to there, there's so much here. There's a lot of happiness, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be taking some practice and, and taking it back with me as well. So, thank you. I really enjoyed it. It was a lovely chat. Yeah. Awesome. All right. <laughs> thank you all again for tuning in. This is your host, Tamar Weinberg of the Common Sense Podcast. Till next time.